Hello and welcome to the Minimum Competence episode for Thursday, November 16th, 2023. I'm your host for today, Andrew Leahy, a tax and technology attorney from New Jersey. In today's episode, we have a stopgap measure to keep the government open. Alex Jones wants to sell stuff to fund his bankruptcy. AI chatbot can pass the MPRE and Column Tuesday on a Wednesday about the failure of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Let's remember, the world is full of people waiting to tell you to work harder. It's up to you to tell yourself to work smarter and also to read today's legal news. On this day in legal history, November 16th, 1973, a pivotal moment in U.S. energy and environmental law occurred when President Richard Nixon signed the Trans-Alaska Pipeline Authorization Act. This act marked a significant shift in the nation's approach to energy resource development and environmental policy. By sanctioning the construction of an 800-mile oil pipeline from Prudhoe Bay in the north of Alaska to Valdez in the south, the act aimed to alleviate the 1973 oil crisis by tapping into the vast oil reserves of Alaska's north slope. Notably, the act contained a controversial provision that effectively bypassed standard environmental legal processes. This provision expedited the pipeline's construction by limiting judicial review and effectively quashing existing legal challenges related to environmental concerns. It reflected the tension between the nation's growing energy demands and the emerging environmental consciousness of the 1970s. The pipeline's construction, completed in 1977, was an engineering feat, traversing some of the most challenging and pristine terrains in Alaska. However, it also raised substantial environmental concerns, such as the impact on the permafrost, wildlife, and indigenous people's way of life. The project became a case study in balancing economic development with environmental preservation, a debate that continues in modern environmental law. The act's legal implications were far-reaching. It set a precedent for how Congress could intervene in ongoing environmental legal disputes. This aspect of the law has been a point of debate among legal scholars, with discussions focusing on the balance between legislative action and judicial independence. Additionally, the act sparked a wave of environmental activism and legal challenges, contributing to the strengthening of environmental legislation in the subsequent years. In retrospect, the Trans-Alaska Pipeline Authorization Act of 1973 remains a landmark in U.S. legal history. It not only transformed Alaska's economy and the U.S. energy landscape, but also played a crucial role in shaping the discourse around environmental law and policy. Indeed, this legislation represents a unique intersection of energy, environment, and law, encapsulating the complexities and challenges of the era. The U.S. Senate has successfully passed a stopgap funding bill to prevent a partial government shutdown, with the bill now heading to President Joe Biden for approval before the weekend deadline. This action marks the resolution of the third fiscal standoff in Congress within this year, which previously brought the government close to default on its over $31 trillion debt and nearly led to shutdowns affecting pay for approximately 4 million federal workers. The recent crisis was closely followed by the ousting of Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on October 3rd, leaving the House leaderless for three weeks. The bill, which received bipartisan support, extends funding for key areas such as military construction, veterans' benefits, and various other federal programs until January 19th, 2024. This date is notably close to the start of the 2024 presidential campaign season, marked by the Iowa caucuses. Democrats expressed satisfaction with the bill for adhering to previously agreed spending levels and avoiding controversial provisions. In contrast, some Republicans, while keen to avoid a shutdown, voiced frustration with the compromise, vowing to push for reduced federal spending when the current funding expires. The repeated confrontations over government funding have hindered Congress from addressing other significant issues, including President Biden's request for substantial aid for Israel, Ukraine, and U.S. border security. The bill's passage provides a temporary respite, but it also sets the stage for further political negotiations and potential conflicts as new deadlines loom. Right-wing conspiracy theorist nutjob Alex Jones is seeking a court permission to sell an array of personal items, including firearms, jewelry, cars, boats, and a cryogenic chamber, to fund his personal bankruptcy costs. 
This move follows his filing for bankruptcy protection last year after being ordered to pay over $1 billion in judgments for falsely claiming the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting was a hoax. Jones plans to promote these sales on his InfoWars radio and video talk shows, believing this will increase the item's value due to supporter demand. The proceeds from the sales are intended for legal fees, and any remaining funds will be used for payments as part of a Chapter 11 plan. This request comes amidst criticisms of Jones' lavish spending habits and follows a court ruling that about $1.1 billion of his debt from defamation judgments cannot be discharged under bankruptcy laws due to his intentional and malicious conduct. A recent study has revealed that GPT-4, a sophisticated AI chatbot developed by Microsoft-backed OpenAI, has surpassed the average performance of human test takers on the Multi-State Professional Responsibility Exam, or MPRE, a legal ethics exam required in nearly every U.S. state for law practice. GPT-4 achieved a 74% accuracy rate on a simulated MPRE compared to the estimated 68% average among human examinees. This study, conducted by Legal On Technologies, suggests the potential for AI to assist lawyers in ethical compliance and align with professional responsibilities. This finding adds to a growing body of research exploring the role of AI in legal education and attorney licensure. Previous studies showed that an earlier version of GPT-4 scored passably on law school final exams and that GPT-4 could pass the bar exam. Additionally, access to GPT-4 was found to increase speed in legal writing assignments, but did not improve the quality of law students' work. Despite GPT-4's impressive performance, particularly in areas like conflicts of interest and lawyer-client relationships, its accuracy was lower in questions about communications regarding legal services and the safekeeping of funds. The National Conference of Bar Examiners, responsible for developing the MPRE, has not assessed the claims of GPT-4's ability to pass its ethics test. A spokesperson emphasized that attorneys possess unique skills that AI cannot currently replicate. The study underscores the evolving role of technology in the legal profession and suggests that advanced AI models like GPT-4 can effectively apply ethical rules, marking a significant milestone in the intersection of AI and legal ethics. And look at that over there on the horizon, galloping towards us. It's my column from yesterday, but today. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, TCJA, of 2017, which reduced the federal corporate income tax rate from 35% to 21%, promised to stimulate economic growth and curb global tax evasion by discouraging offshore profit shifting. However, six years later, evidence suggests its impact on reducing the use of tax havens has been minimal. The constant offshoring of about 35% of foreign profits and the consistent booking of about 50% of these profits in tax havens indicate the TCJA's limited effectiveness. Some positive effects of the act are observed in the actions of six major companies, including Alphabet Inc., that's Google, Microsoft Corp., and Meta Platforms, which repatriated intellectual property to the U.S. This movement coincided with changes in the Irish tax code, making it difficult to attribute the repatriation solely to the TCJA. A potential solution to the unresolved issues of the act is a global minimum tax, as suggested by the EU Tax Observatory in the 2024 Global Tax Evasion Report. This tax would create a global tax liability based on a corporation's engagement with different markets, irrespective of where profits are geographically distributed. Over 140 countries agreed to a global minimum tax of 15% on multinational profits under a 2021 G20 and OECD initiative, but the effectiveness of this tax has been weakened due to modifications like the economic substance carve-out. A more robust global minimum tax could provide a cohesive strategy to protect individual countries' tax bases, highlighting the need for a unified approach to combat tax avoidance. The CCJA's limitations underscore the importance of a global, interlinked system of policies to effectively address offshore profit shifting. The resolution to this issue lies in the collective action of the global community to pursue fiscal fairness. Let me explain what I'm proposing using more concrete terms and examples here, and I'm going to throw out a bunch of numbers. 
So if you want to follow along, it may be easier to go to minimumcomp.com and look at the entry for this episode and sort of read along as I go. Let's consider a multinational company that has profits logged in three jurisdictions, country A, country B, and country C. In country A, they have $10 billion in profits taxed at 10%. In country B, $10 billion profits taxed at 5%. And in country C, $10 billion in profits taxed at 0%. So country C is a tax haven. Let's say the global minimum tax in this hypothetical scenario is 15%. The hypothetical multinational company has $30 billion in profits across the three countries. And if they all uniformly taxed at 15%, the multinational would owe $4.5 billion in taxes distributed evenly over those countries. However, owing to none of the countries reaching that 15% threshold for the global minimum tax, there are deficits in the percentage each country has collected. So in country A, there's $500 million left on the table. In B, there's a $1 billion gap, and in C, all $1.5 billion has been left uncollected because that is a tax haven with a 0% tax rate. The overall deficit, therefore, is $3 billion. The most straightforward way to apportion that deficit among the three jurisdictions is to mirror the percentage of global sales the company makes in each jurisdiction. So, assuming 25% of sales went to country A, they would be entitled to collect 25% of the $3 billion deficit, or $750 million all three jurisdictions would be incentivized to close that uncollected gap by raising their tax rate to the global minimum of 15% and leave as little on the table for distribution through the sales apportionment mechanism. In this way, the multinational is taxed at the global minimum amount from day one, and each individual country is incentivized to get on board and collect as much as they are entitled to. It's a relatively simple solution to a complex problem, and it would need a lot of fine-tuning. But to my mind, it is infinitely closer to a solution than anything currently in force or proposed. And with that, I thank you so much for listening to Minimum Competence, your daily news podcast for lawyers. If you're looking for more than Minimum Competence, links to further reading on all the topics touched on today are in the show notes. If you have any questions or story suggestions, you can find us on Mastodon on the esq.social instance. I'm at Andrew, and my co-host Gina is at Gina. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and do not represent those of any organization we may be affiliated with. Nothing here should be construed as legal advice because it is certainly not legal advice. And reviews go a long way towards helping new listeners to find our show. If you have a moment, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast player. We'd appreciate it. And if you know someone that might be interested in a story we cover, consider sending them the episode. Minimum Competence is available at minimumcomp.com and wherever it is you get your finely crafted podcasts. If you haven't checked out the website in a while, give it a look. There are complete transcripts and resources for each episode at its corresponding segments as well as an opportunity to receive new episodes in email newsletter form. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And until then, remember, when hiding from a hungry lion, you don't have to choose the best hiding spot. You just mustn't choose the worst. 